0: So today we are continuing on in this series, this year-long series I've been preaching with uh, looking at Moses, who was a major character in the history of the Western uh, religions uh, he uh, was a big part of Judaism and uh, uh, continue, his influence continued on Jesus and has, been, has a major influence on the Christian faith and He lived many thousands of years ago and had this epic journey across uh, the deserts of, of Egypt and Sinai and, and into the holy land and we 've been following him for many, many months now. I asked Asking the question, what kind of lessons can we learn from him as he led the people of God through the wilderness generation? And um, I was thinking this specific week about love. We've been talking in the last few weeks about what can we learn from these people about love and how to love God and how to love one another. Because as if we read closely in, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those four books in the Old Testament where their story is told, if we look in that story we see that the theme of love continues to come up very profoundly and oftentimes we think of the God of the Old Testament as the God of justice and wrath and Jesus and the God of New Testament being a God of love and we find that this is really a false dichotomy. Uh, the God of uh, Moses' God, the God Moses knew, was characterized by steadfast abounding love. And so we're looking back at them as well to, to think about what we can learn from, from love. And of course, they went through this great epic journey uh, for 40 years. Think about that. 40 years living in a, in a situation where you're in survival mode and you're around hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people making their way through, uh, through this barren land. And the, the theme of journey is a, is a really important one as we think about love because uh, our lives are a journey the, the the metaphor of journey becomes characteristic of of our journey to love and i think to myself i've i've been on lots of different journeys i like to travel i'm a i'm a traveler um, at, at heart i've done i've done some some fair share of it in my time and my, the, the greatest journey that i ever took literally was after college a couple buddies and I backpacked around the world, and we went to something like 21 countries in seven months, and it was this great epic journey that we had planned, and we were going to see all the places that we'd ever wanted to see. And um, as we went along this journey, uh, I, I kept thinking to myself, uh, every... Uh, I don't know if the, if the airline Lufthansa even exists anymore. I, I think it probably does. We took the Lufthansa airline, and we got this ticket where if you, uh, you bundle up a bunch of flights, you can get another 10 flights for another 50 bucks. You know, they just keep adding up. And so we took all these, you know, probably you know, dozens, if not multiple dozens, of flights that year, and it got to me every time I reached a terminal. The Terminal 4, or Terminal 2, and it's like, wow, that's like a thing you don't want to hear from your doctor, right? It's terminal. And yet, here we are, travelers. We always go to these terminals. There's something there to be thought about. And I think as you journey, as you journey uh, in, in the physical and traveling sense, but as you journey in your own life, yeah, oftentimes you realize that the various phases that you go through, uh, you, they're called ter- it's called a terminal for a reason. It's like the person you once were uh, is no longer. You're going to go through something, and you're going to be somebody else. Or the things that you used to know and the life that you used to live sometimes our stories end and that, And new beginnings happen, and so this this journey that we went on uh, after college was was a great metaphor, and I remember you know we were young, we were twenty in our early twenties, and trying to think you know asking these great questions what 's the kingdom of god and what's god 's place in the world and and how you know what's for me i'm an american what's america 's place in the world, and you found out all these interesting things that people think of, of us um, and and we we had these great grand questions and ideas and thoughts in our head. And yet, as we went from place to place, and city to city, and country to country, uh, thing, something happened that I, I really never expected. I didn't really know about. But everywhere we went, we kind of crossed this trail of ethnic strife, and genocide, and violence, and war. And the, the heartache of the world became new to us in a, kind of a, in a very important way. And Anyway, I can tell the story, longer story, sometime else. Uh, but we ended up at this place in Cambodia uh, called Chung Ek, which is now not in my slides. Oh, how sad. It was there this morning. We, we went to this place called Chung Ek, and when you get there, uh, it's in Cambodia, and it's a, a pillar. It's this Asian-looking monument, and it's on the place of a place called the Killing Fields. And for those of you who know the Southeast Asian history, this is what the genocide that happened in the 70s with the Khmer Rouge. Uh, and so you have this this stupa there, and it's filled with skulls. There it is. It's filled. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you walk up and you think you're going to see plaques, but the whole thing is just stacked to the ceiling with skulls of the the, the, the people that died on, that, on that, that land. And I remember thinking about this place, and it began... Uh, I don't know I don't know how to describe it, but we, we went we, it was just for a day, we saw it, we took it in, but for, for months afterwards, this place haunted me, just seeing the skulls of these people who had been, been killed there. And, and I came home back to North America, thinking to myself, um, "The world is a much different place than I ever realized." And I began seeing, you know, you go to other places and you see other people's problems. You know, uh, it's, it's very apparent. But then when you see other people's problems and you come back home and you realize, wow, like, these problems are in my place too. And the great evils of the world that you see of poverty and racism and violence and materialism all that's everywhere but you see it in your own home in your own place and it sort of undoes you and for me when I think about love we we like to talk about love as a feeling or an emotion or something that we all want and we're all searching for but this place to me becomes a great symbol of of, uh, how bad things can really get in the world and and we think of ourselves as loving and giving people. And, and I know most of you. I know a lot of you who are, who are, sitting, to, who are sitting together today. And I, I see you. And, and you're very giving and loving people. And I think of myself as a giving and loving person. And give you know, my food and my home away. And I love hospitality. And I love giving. We all love giving. But then things happen in our life where we realize that there's, there's a glitch. There's a glitch in all of us. There's a glitch in the system, so to speak, in in this uh, idea of love. And we end up screaming at our children. Or um, we end up being in situations where we've been deeply in love with somebody. Or deeply in love with someone in our family. And the deep love that we once had had, has now turned into a complicated, as C.S. Lewis has called it, a complicated form of hate. You get these transitions that happen, and what, we, can't, we, we, we can't answer them. And we like to give, and we love to be outpouring, but, but some of us, if we're honest, we just have to say, I, I really hate God, and that's, that's a thing to say. Um, or I want to be a good wife or a husband or a parent or a friend, but I just sometimes can't follow through. Or I'm a Christian, but I have this... Um, unwanted in deep sense to, to commit adultery or ha- having and holding my friend's wife and fantasizing about them or husband. and um, Whether I know it or not, I actively exclude people, and I'm going on here, and you get this laundry list of things. or I, I, Whether I know it or not, I consistently think less of people that aren't my skin color or I don't like their face or I don't like the way they look or uh, I can't get past this these things that I, I, I might end up, if I'm honest calling, um, addictions, I've got things that I can't get over and we have this sense that we are benevolent people we love to give, we are giving people and yet there's a glitch in the system and so the story about love and this is the, the, the monuments to the fact that there's a grand glitch in the system that, that, can, that can blow up and become a, a grand evil in the world and yet if we're honest with ourselves, we each and every one of us are only one or two steps away from this from contributing to this, from um, unwantingly contributing to the, the great evils in the world. And so we're on this journey, right? So if, if we have to think about how this all works, this glitch in the system, how it gets fixed, how it gets changed, we're on this journey. We're on this journey from a greedy, kind of naturally exacting, selfish love to a love that could be characterized as selfless love, uh, giving, something that's graced, something that uh, is lovely. But we're, we're going beyond that because we're going to a sense... As we find in the scriptures, to a perfected love. And this perfected love is basically this, as we've been talking about I am willing the good for other people without any expectation of return. Because we know that there's this perfected love that doesn't expect anything in return, and it goes far beyond our feelings of affection or our senses of lust, or grasping, or need for safety in another person or in God. And there's so much more to this love, a journey to something more pure. And so we make this journey, and why do we do this? Why do we make this journey? Are we just being perfectionistic? Are we just being, I don't know, uh, snobs about the, the way that we treat others? Well. The natural loves, the things that are less than perfect loves, we all know, I bet we could all testify to the fact that sometimes these loves that are less than perfect can turn into demons and they can haunt us and they can become something that, that we never have meant them to be. And we're not being perfectionists, but we realize that when we go, go from kind of a selfish, interested, greedy uh, love through a, a, a general love into a perfected love, we realize that when we get there, when we get into that perfected love, that's the stuff that remakes the world. That's the stuff that doesn't just perpetuate the systems. That's the stuff that makes sure that this, these monuments never exist in the world. And the Israelites knew this, right? Like They, they followed Moses out of this grand civilization of Egypt. And when, when Moses said to them, I'm asking you to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, they realized that the love that he was talking about felt more like being lost in a desert for 40 years than sitting on a couch eating watermelon. Okay, and here's, here's what I mean by this. So, the, the, the uh, 40 years here, wandering through the desert, oh, yeah, 40 years wandering through the desert, I think there's something going on with the slides today. Here we go. 40 years wandering through the desert, and, and, if if you read through what they came from, what they came out of, the situation in Egypt that they were in, here's the list that you come up with. They had slave masters to oppress them with forced labor. They built store cities for the Egyptians. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. There was bitterness with harsh labor in brick and mortar work and working in fields. Pharaoh said Pharaoh had the power over them to say if it's a boy, if you have a, if you have a, a baby boy, you, we're going to throw them in the river. Pharaoh, Pharaoh could, could, could pull this on them. If they, if they uh, stood up for themselves in any way, he could say, you know what, you make bricks, but I'm not even going to give you straw. You go out and find your own straw, but I'm going to expect that you have the same amount of bricks produced. And if not, I'm going to physically whip you. Uh, he brought, uh, you have the sense from the, the, in, in Deuteronomy, it says that God brought you up out of the iron smelting furnace. Like Think about that. They lived in a situation that felt like they were inside an iron-smelting furnace. And there were horrible diseases that, that they knew in Egypt. Like, this is the situation out of which they came. But when they got into the desert, freed from all of this, there's many times that they wanted to go back. And that, there's something there. There's something very important there for us as we think about that. They wanted to go back. This is what they'd say. Remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetites. So Look, we we ate at no cost, right? No cost. Your 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 firstborn son could get thrown into a river. You're eating fish at no cost. And there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. And the miserable food they're talking about is the manna, which God poured down from heaven every day on them to provide for them. It said that it looked like coriander seed. And they'd go collect all these seeds up, and it says that they'd gather it, and they'd grind it in a mill, and they'd put it in a pot and make it into bread. And it said that tasted, Deuteronomy says, it tasted like something that was made with olive oil. Now, I could see getting sick of that. For sure, no question. But where did they come from? The slavery that they were in. And so we get this sense from the Israelites that uh, the love that God has for us, the journey that we're on, if we're going to be part of this journey of the people of faith, uh, it's going to feel more like being lost in a desert for 40 years than sitting on a couch eating melons. And loving God and loving each other and, and loving, uh, coming to this, this profound love along the way is going to be less natural for them than they ever could have imagined. But the choice was always this. Are we going to follow this unpredictable God into the desert, into this journey? Or are we going to go back to this evil despot leader who feeds us watermelon? And we remember that God provided for them perfectly for every need but he did not provide for their delicacies their delicate tastes and there's something in there for us to remember as we go god is going to be freeing us to love uh, without us any slave lords over us but this journey is hard and challenging and we ask why do we do it why why is what is this even worth it I asked myself that at the end of the, the, the seven months of travel. You know, I thought I was going to come back with this sort of sophisticated uh, travel sense about me, and now I could write in Conde Nast or whatever. I, I came back with this horrified reality that the world's not as it should be. And is that worth it? Is it worth it to come to realize that and to then want to do something about it? So, is it worth it? And the answer is this the, answer, the fundamental answer is this. This journey is the only way to freedom. It's the only way that this world can be made free. And, and God says it this way. In Leviticus and Hosea, we will read both of these. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. I love that. How many of us walk with our heads hung low? under the oppression of some yoke or some narrative or some boss or some family member who doesn't want to see us with our heads held high. God's the type of God who says, I will take you through hard stuff because I'm going to free you from whatever that is and your head is going to be held high as you walk around. Or Hosea says it lovely here. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And it was I who taught Israel to walk. I took them up in my arms But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I taught Israel to walk. I healed them, but they didn't know it. How often are we in that situation? We go through these hard journeys. We go through these very difficult, profound phases of our life. And and we didn't know it, but God God healed us. Um, or that's what he's doing, that's what he's in the process of. Uh, and Moses knew this, that he, you know, he's standing now at the end of his long life's journey, and he's looking back and he's saying to, uh, to his people, if you want to know what this is all about, it's love the Lord your God with your whole heart and whole mind and whole strength. And Jesus comes along and collects up the whole of the four books and says, the greatest commandment is to love God with all you are and to love others as they want to be loved, as to paraphrase it. So, you know, Moses is, is is speaking now to the Israelites. He's reflecting, he's saying, I want to help you on the journey because the journey's not over. And my, my phase of the journey's done, but yours continues to go. And of course, that's why we're talking about this is because we're still part of the people from generation to generation that this... That this Uh, wisdom echoes down through. If you're going to be the people of God, Moses says, here's what I want to tell you. And I believe in Deuteronomy 10, we get this wrapped up in a really amazing package here. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today For your own well-being. And this goes on for two more slides here. Although heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord set his heart and love on your ancestors alone and chose you, their descendants, after them. Out of all the peoples, as it is today, as it is today, circumcise then the foreskin of your heart and do not be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them with food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, him alone you shall worship, to him you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear he is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. There's two things here. Uh, I, I would encourage us, this is Deuteronomy 10, through 22. I encourage us as a community to dwell within these, these verses. There's so much here, a rich world of thought, but two things I want to pull out of it today keep a hold of the character of God, right? Here's what these verses say. Heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord and all the earth. He's the one that owns this place. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. Pharaohs and the pharaohs of the world are imposters. He's the one who's the Lord, the great and mighty, the awesome who's not partial and does not take a bribe. And this, this gets into the whole nature of religion. We want to we sort of make deals with God rather than love him. If you do something for me, I'll do something for you. This is God's like, this, I'm not, I don't take bribes. I, I don't work like that. Um, which, is, which is kind of bad news for us sometimes because we'd like them to work like that. But good news in the bigger picture that there's a good God out there who executes justice. He doesn't let us be oppressed without there being retribution. He is our praise. He is your God who has done great and awesome things. And Moses says, if, if you remember in there, to him you shall hold fast. If we want to move into this uh, less, if we want to move from this less than perfect love into a perfect love, that's the first thing: hold fast to God. Hold fast to His character. The, if, if, the, if the imposters of the world want us to, to get at our love and want want, want us to get, get lost in the selfish forms of love, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to pull us away from us. Holding fast to God, we'll question His character, question His motives, question everything about Him, and it's okay. God doesn't mind to be questioned. I mean, you read a lot of the Old Testament, even some of the New. God's like, question me. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer eventually, and it's not always going to be comfortable. But you can question me. Uh, but, but here's the thing. We can question God. We can question him and rail against him and yet hold fast to him. And that's, that's the first thing Moses says. If you, if you want to grow in this love, hold fast to God. But secondly, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and be stubborn no longer. And here we get into some ancient customs. You know, it's, you kind of realize when you start talking about the foreskins of your heart, you've got to like, be very careful about how you teach about this. Um, so circumcision. Circumcision was the great symbol that God asked Abraham to do in back in Genesis, one of Moses' ancestors. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant that and you you and your offspring after you throughout their generations this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you every male among you shall be circumcised you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me throughout your generations every male among you shall be circumcised when he's 8 years old and we realize that what is God asking oh <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> we could go in a lot of directions here. Okay, so we realize that what is this? What is this thing that God asks f- to do for babies? Um, male babies. He's asking them to make a painful cut in the most powerful male part of human procreation as a symbol of the painful journey that it takes to be part of God in the purification of desires. So if, that's, if, if, if this is what God asked Abraham to do. Moses is now building upon this practice of, of, of covenanting and promising ourselves to God, no matter what he does with us, Be with him. We'll, we'll be with him. And, and Moses is saying, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. What is this? What is this? It's a painful cut in the core of our spiritual center where faith, hope, and love abides. Make a painful cut there. A symbol of the painful journey that it's going to take to purify faith, hope, and love inside us. And of course we remember that we're moving from what C.S. Lewis called a need love. A need love, greedy and exacting. We use others. We make, mistake our affections for what love really is. Um, to this place where we're, there's joy and energy that we get out of the good of someone else. We see someone else having a good, uh, you know, I think that there's some of this uh, in our expression of love to Northwind. I mean, we're not getting anything back from that, and that's okay. This is a no-strings-attached deta- no gift to a community. We're going, that's, that's awesome. And we're moving beyond any sort of reciprocity to, that's awesome, we love that. You know, you know how much I'd love to have a bunch of land in a camp? Like, there's part of me that's like, oh, that'd be awesome for grassroots to have that. But then I, I look inside of me, and anything that is jealous or anything like that gets, gets batted down by, by God's perfect love and says, this isn't about you. This is about this amazing thing that God is going to be doing through these people. And so we move from this place of greedy love to the, we're getting energy and joy out of seeing someone else become, uh, have, having something good happen to them. And we're unwearied and loving, uh, and we move on back beyond this natural love to um, something that C.S. Lewis said is like this uh, gift love, a gift love that we give away. And when we get to the more perfect forms of it, here's what happens. We go beyond just loving our friends. We have the, and this is world-changing stuff, friends. We're going into world-changing stuff here. We begin to love the unlovable. C.S. Lewis says the lepers we love, the people who are not natural to love, criminals, Enemies, and then the epitome of people for Lewis, morons. <laughs> That's what he said. You love lepers and criminals, enemies, and then morons. Um, so we learn to love the unlovable. We learn to love things that we're not attracted to and people we're not attracted to, and we learn to, to be open, and our, our hearts expand when we give. But, friends, this is a painful journey. To get there, it's painful, it's not easy. And, and it's not that we just are trying to be snobs or anything about that. We want to be part of the people that change the world. And so you see this. Circumcise your heart. It's the painful journey that frees us from slavery. And I love this. God is the one who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, who loves the stranger, providing them food and clothing. And what does he say? What does this selfless love look like? You shall also love the stranger. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. And people, people of God, let's become, let's move into this type of love. You you already have it. You had it before I got here. The strangers. Who are the strangers around us? Who are the people who have come to Thunder Bay for the first time from, I don't know, Winnipeg or from the States or from Syria or wherever they come from, there are people who are strangers. And God says, what does this perfect love look like? It looks like being welcoming to these people. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. And after all of this, after all of these, these challenges for us to come to a more perfect kind of love, we realize, if you read carefully from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that the circumcision, the act of circumcision, the entrance into the people of God, which was this painful cut, becomes something else. We don't do circumcision anymore in the Christian faith. We do baptism. Circumcision turns into baptism. And what is baptism? Baptism is a time where you say, I'm committing my life to this perfect love who we call Jesus. And I'm committing my life to his way and the hard journey involved in becoming like him. And I'm going to plunge myself. This is the beauty of the symbolism. I'm plunging myself under the waters. And really, I'm not going to come back up. This is, this, is, this is the drowning cycle. The metaphor is the cycle of drowning. You go under the water, and yeah, we come back up symbolically, but Martin Luther, the great theologian, said that when, for, for baptism, what it is, is you go under these waters, these initiatory waters, and what's happened? All the impurities get washed away. All the impurities start coming off. All the things which taint our love and make them less pure come off, and it's like this drowning this drowning cycle happens. These these imperfect parts of us drown and we learn to live and breathe by the Holy Spirit. And so as we follow the Christian life, as we follow Jesus, even he went through this for us to lead us in in the way to realize that this Christian life, this journey, sometimes is going to feel like drowning. Sometimes it feels like I can't breathe. There's parts of me, impure parts of me that want to come up for air all the time, impure, imperfect love, coming up to take a deep breath because it's dying. It's dying inside of us. It's just a good thing the sin is dying. And so um, Luther said, you know, his perspective was, if if you got to come up and breathe, come up and take a deep breath. We're we're imperfect people. We're on a journey. We're on a, a, a way towards love. Come up and take a breath if you need it. But don't get out of the waters. Go back under. Go back under and let the cycle of, of baptism happen. And, and when, we, when we realize what's happening with baptism, that it's a drowning cycle where our love gets purified, we remember that what did Jesus do right after he was baptized? Where did God bring him? To the palace of the Roman emperor where he ate melons. No, that's not what happened. The Holy Spirit brought Jesus out of his baptism straight into the desert. For 40 days. To be tempted and tested. And Jesus t- uh, passed with flying colors, so to speak. To show us what it looks like to be a follower of him. We will pass through the desert, my friends. We will pass through. And it's, it's going to be hard. And it's not easy. But we realize that it's the only way to freedom. The only way that we become freed. And the only way the world gets freed And so if I have to give you any piece of advice today from all of this, it's these. Cling to God. We need to cling to him. We need to hold fast and hold tight. And how do you do that? Sometimes it looks like getting up in the morning and reading your scriptures for 15 minutes. Other times that just doesn't cut it. We can't find God there. God's elsewhere. He's doing something else. So what it means oftentimes to cling to God, and this is why I keep talking about journaling and keeping a record, because the way that our love gets formed is through this long journey, this long painful journey. And sometimes we get, we lose sight of the fact of his goodness and we lose the fact of the sight that he's healing us and lose the fact of the sight that he's freeing us. And so we need a record. We need a record. When Moses went around and Joshua went around, his followers, they set up, they set up altars. God did something here. He was doing something. And when we journal, when we keep a record of what all the various things we go through, especially when we realize, wow, I really blew it today. My love today was filled with all sorts of impurities. We can list those down. We realize, and, and, and especially in the times when we feel most desperate, when life becomes most desperate, we learn to realize there's something about, okay, let me just qualify this. Uh, we, we become desperate in times in our faith, in our faith journey. And God never, ever creates evil in the world. He never creates situations where evil happens. But he's the God, we learn, that comes in. He inserts himself right after evil is made, whether it's someone else doing it to you or whatever. whatever. He inserts himself right in the process and begins working and using every situation to, to grow us and to shape us and to form us and to, and to free this world from the evils that, that, that cling to it. And so keeping a record of what God is doing is so important because we, we, we lose sight of it. We lose, we lose grips with the fact that, okay, I'm desperate right now, but something's happening. What is God doing? How is he shaping my love? And sometimes if you just take a little bit of record, even if you keep track over one week's time, you realize, oh, okay, that's what's happening. You, you see pieces coming together. Um, and I'll talk about this more next week. Next week's the last week on the love uh, series. And we're going to talk we'll pretty practical in there about this journaling and why it's important. But the, the primary message is this. How does love, how does God shape us into people who give divine love? It's through this long and painful journey that the Israelites taught us and that Moses at the end of his life said, you know, there's this, this has been hard, this has been Awful, um, but we can cling to God in ways that we never could have when we had a ruler and overlord over us. So God's God's freeing us, and so as we think about this, we come every single week back to this table, um, not because uh, of anything else, but because we realize that we are a people who have a propensity to want to go back to Egypt. We are a people who who forget what it's like to be in the bonds of slavery. And so we come back every week to remember that Jesus paved the way. He went before us in his baptism, in his wilderness trials, in the harsh three years of ministry he, he experienced with his own people rejecting him. And he comes to the end of his life on a cross and, he, and we realize that, that perfect love is this, that one should lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus on the last night before he was taken into custody, said to his friends, if you want to follow me, let me just give you some help. Every week, every time you gather, get, come together and remember that my body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you. And therefore, you should become a servant of all as well. And so we're, we're imperfect, friends. We're on a journey. That's what a journey is, It's winding. So wherever you're at today, whether it's a place of trauma whether it's a place of a bit of closeness, you're not quite sure how you're feeling towards any of this or towards God, whether you're desperate and you need a release, whether you're in pain, whether, um, whether or not things have been going well for you and you realize, you know, there, but there's a few glitches in my system. This table is open to all of us, not because it's not a magic solution, but it's a devotion. It's a, it's a symbolic, tangible way for us to dip the bread or the cracker into the juice. And take it in and say once more I'm here. Once more I'm still with you God on this journey. I am clinging to you. If, that, if, if that's what you need today. If, if all you need is to say God I am still clinging to you. Or if you want to say God I want to cling to you. This table is a perfect place to do it. And that's why we're here. That's why, why we do this. So the table is set my friends. With this manna. And this juice. The table is set for every single person in here to come. And taste the goodness of the Lord who leads us on so well. So every one of us is welcome.